And what should have been a three to four month renovation took seven to eight months. You know, I lost about, you know, $100,000 where I went $100,000 over budget. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guest, I want to mention Fund That Flip because Fund That Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on, uh, or the main two things, are the deal and the money. Uh, so if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Uh, the, the founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. familiarize yourself with Matt and um, what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Best ever listeners, hello, hello. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. My name's Joe Fairless, and we've interviewed many successful real estate investing guests in the past from Barbara Corcoran, Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And today we are going to interview another best ever guest. And you know, if, if you're new to the show or if you're a loyal best ever listener, you know that we are all about cutting out the fluff and getting straight to the good stuff. So with that, let's go ahead and keep on rocking. With us today, we've got Elias Zike. How you doing, Elias? I'm doing good, Joe. How are you? Doing very well, my friend. Elias is joining us from up north in Ontario, Canada. He is a professional real estate investor, consultant, and blogger. He owns more than $4 million worth of property and primarily townhomes and small multifamily properties. And he is really skilled in identifying undervalued properties and overseeing and understanding the renovation project management of all that. So we're going to get into the the nuts and bolts of, of that area of his specialty here in a little bit. So before we do that, though, Elias, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Okay. Thanks, Joe. Uh, well, I started investing back in 2002. You know, I wasn't, you know, that far out of university at that point. And, um, you know, I started to purchase five-level semi-detached backsplits uh, in Mississauga, small multifamilies. So they were two and three units. And I continued focusing on that niche within about, you know, five to seven kilometer area while I worked as, as a management accountant for several large multinational firms. And, um, you know, within 10 years of, of doing that very consistently, uh, I was able to, you know, break away from my day job in 2012. And, you know, in around the same point, uh, I started to aggressively go after uh, townhomes in the Hamilton area, which is, you know, about a 40-minute drive uh, from Toronto. 
And, you know, similar to the multifamilies, you know, I targeted properties with a vintage of seven, between the 70s and 80s. And there were generally small to mid-sized renovations that I knew that I could handle pretty well. You know, a couple of reasons why I got into townhome investment strategy very quickly. You know, I believed in the city of Hamilton, uh, where I was purchasing them. The industrial sector in the city had been pretty hit pretty hard in the previous decade. And, you know, I saw other sectors like high, t- uh, high tech and healthcare starting to take off. There was really low unemployment in the city, about 2% lower than the greater Toronto area, which is a very short drive away. And, you know, I saw a number of infrastructure improvements, you know, being built, not only within the city, but connecting the greater Hamilton area to the greater Toronto area. So that's, that's why I did that. At the same time, I could purchase townhomes below the cost of construction. So there was an economic downturn. I thought, you know, I'd be pretty well positioned. And at the same time, moving to, uh, from townhomes, uh, from the small multifamily, I could, could attract higher uh, income tenants. And uh, generally, people stay in townhomes a little longer than uh, small multifamily properties. At the same time, I've also, um, you know, done some consulting in around real estate and recently started up a new blog at accident.ca. All right. Well, you have been very busy. I haven't heard of uh, the term that you mentioned, five-level back splits. And I know that then you said it's small multifamily, but why is it called five-level back splits? Well, it's just they've got five different floors, right? So these back splits, um, you know, you know, have a, you know, have a you know, basement, and then you know they'll have like a, you know, uh, like basically, basically each each unit is the, the top unit is three floors, and the bottom unit is two floors, right? So you're, you're talking about basically the number of floors. Got it. And what are you blogging about on your blog? What's your main focus? My main focus is, um, you know, things that I've learned, you know, throughout my investing career. So just, you know, general real estate knowledge, but also some things in terms of having the right mindset for entrepreneurship and uh, general personal finance advice, which helped me gain financial independence. With townhomes, what are the what are the disadvantages of townhomes versus a a, a normal single family house? Well, I think um, you know one of the main disadvantages is obviously you've got to deal with a with a condo corporation, so there's like limited control there, uh, especially if if the uh, condominium um, corporation isn't isn't well managed. Um, you know, you don't have control of what the condo fee is going to be, so there's that unknown intangible there. At the same time, there's things that you don't have to worry about. You know, you don't you know have to worry about things like snow removal, for example. Uh, which, you know, a lot of the condo corporations here take care of on behalf of the tenant. Um, you know, they take care of things like the roof and some of the common elements, which is a benefit. Um, but obviously, those things come with a cost. And you, you don't always have control of those costs. So um, that's the downside. Let's talk about the four to five million of property that you own and how you went about that. You said you were investing, started investing in 2002, and then over 10 years of doing that consistently, you broke away from your day job in 2012. How many properties did you buy between 2002 and 2012? And what, what were they making on average on an on a annual or monthly basis, however you evaluate it? Well, I, I mean, in terms, of, in, in terms of the number of properties I've purchased, you know, it's probably been in the, you know, in the dozens. You know, and in terms of cash flow, you know, you're probably looking at, you know, four to five hundred dollars a month. And with those properties, 
you know, say how, so you said in the dozens. So does that mean you purchased about what, 12 properties between 2002 and 2012? Exactly. And I've, and I've bought and sold some as well in between. Okay. You know, to turn, to turn a flip as well. Got it. So with the properties that you have held on to, what was that? What was your model? Like, how were you, were you financing the properties that you were buying through your W-2 income as well as the, the income that you made on the flips or like what, what was, what was your model for how you went from zero properties to how many properties do you currently own right now? I currently own eight properties. So from zero to the eight properties. Yeah. So how did you go about getting from zero to eight? Well, you know, the strategy was really about, you know, buying within a specific niche in good neighborhoods, you know, where there was good economic fundamentals, right? Purchasing at a, you know, at a, at a you know, fair price, right? Eventually, you know, growing the portfolio and, you know, refinancing my, my existing uh, properties in order to get more money and purchase more. I mean, it's really not, you know, to be honest, any sort of magic, right, that, you know, I was able to pull off. Really, it's just the power of compound interest, which is the most powerful force in the universe, right? And that just came from, I mean, I was, you know, purchasing properties in areas with about, you know, 8 to 10% appreciation. I mean, I think that in itself allowed me to build the equity and be able to refinance, refinance my existing portfolio in order to purchase more properties. So that's, that's really how I was able to, I was able to do it and avoiding the mistakes, right? I mean, I really stayed within a very tight niche of properties. So, you know, when I say like, you know, the five level semi-detached back splits, so five or semi-detached properties um, within Hamilton and the townhomes, um, which were all three bedroom, one and a half bath, you know, on certain intersections, those properties were very similar to each other. And so I think I avoided some of those mistakes and pitfalls of kind of getting into the unknown and keeping my returns very predictable. I think that's, that was the key to my success. And you were dealing with some high value properties. If, if you're at proper, if eight of them are, you know, over 4 million, then that's on average 500,000 a property. Is that eight properties or eight doors or eight properties? properties. Okay. Okay. So there are multiple units within. Right. Within that. And then there's, there's properties which I own partially. I'm talking about the ones that I own fully. Got it. Okay. All right. When you're looking at, so was it is it ba- was it basically kind of the standard buy undervalue, increase the the value while being in a good market, then do a cash out refinance and use that money to buy more property? Yeah, that, that's that's exactly what it is, and just you really make good money at the buy, right? Like bu- bu- buying in a, in a good area, not overpaying, and because I had that specialty in that niche, like I'm just focusing on townhomes within a certain area. I know what's a good deal and what's not a good deal. And I can jump on it quickly, right? Um, because I have that specialization. So that, that's why I decided to do it. How much did you put down on your first property? Do you remember? The first property I put down, you know, um, actually 5%. I mean, I was, I was living there. So mm. the down payment requirement is a little bit less, right? And I was renting out the upstairs while living downstairs. Okay. And then what, what about your second property? How'd you finance that? Uh, I was from the first one and, you know, that, that was 25% down. Okay. Got it. And that was, was that essentially your model where you put 25% down on the subsequent properties? That's right. Yeah. And how, what type of financing were you using on the subsequent properties? 
generally it's it's been for the ones that I own it's been through you know tier one lenders and then combining that with um, you know funds from from family members primarily or uh, you know close relatives got okay what what type of financing would you get from close relatives or, or people that you know well it was just you know for the down payment right and then splitting the you know the ownership and and the and the profits were you able to do that on properties that were less than five units? Yeah. Okay. And you were investing, Hamilton is in Canada, correct? That's right, yeah. Okay. And is that near Ontario? That's in Ontario, and it's about a 40-minute drive from Toronto. Okay. All right. How familiar are you with investing in the United States? You know what? I mean, I'm not too familiar. Okay. You know, I, I just sort of stick within my niche. I mean, I've obviously heard some things, some opportunities that have come up like in Arizona and Phoenix and, but I've, I've never really, I'm not a specialist in that area. What would you say would be one of the surprising things that people would find about investing in Canada? Are there any, I know you're not, you haven't invested in the United States right. or other, mar- or other areas, but outside of Canada. And it sounds like outside of a very small area, which you know, t- leads to one of the reasons why you've been successful because you're so focused. But are, are there any unique features or aspects of investing in Canada that you know of? Well, I don't know how it differs from the United States specifically. But you know, you know, a lot of people talk about you know, the booming Canadian real estate market, right? And uh, you know, that's a little bit of a misnomer right? From, I guess, people looking from the outside, because it's really just within specific markets that the Canadian real estate market is booming. So the greater Toronto area and the greater Vancouver area, you know, if you were to kind of take those, take those areas out of the analysis of of the Canadian real estate market, I would say it's pretty flat. And that's just because of demographics where the population is growing. So that, that would be, that'd be, you know, my, my tidbit about Canada. Let's talk about renovation and project management costs. What are some tips that you have for the best ever listeners as far as you know overseeing renovations and the the management of the renovations? I would say is you know you, you don't want to get in above your head, right? And I've made that mistake. And what I kind of mean by that is I'll give you an example. Um, you know I've been really focused on kind of mid small mid renovations, right? That's been my pocket. Uh, in terms of my contacts, uh, you know, the handyman and the, the subtrades that I use, you know, m- my team is kind of facilitated towards doing the small to mid-sized renovations. And there was one point where, you know, I wanted to get into bigger flips. I had the capital to do it. And, you know, I kind of jumped in there a little bit too quickly. You know, I was, I was kind of excited by the opportunity of making some quick money. And I ended up buying, uh, you know, a, a double brick Victorian home built in the early 1900s. So much older than the townhomes. And, um, you know, the small multifamilies that I was previously buying. And I was obviously intrigued by this property, um, you know, because of the flip potential. And, you know, I was taking over someone who had previously done a renovation or was attempting to renovate it and they ran out of money. And part of the work they were trying to do is trying to underpin the foundation. And because of they were trying to underpin the foundation and they had, you know, failed in the middle of the job or ran out of money. Um, that provided an opportunity to me as a cash buyer at that point to get into the property because there was a limited pool of buyers, obviously, because you can't get financing on a property with uh, with uh, half foundation work still to be done. So I ended up getting a pretty good deal on the property. And, you know, 
my resources at the time were kind of busy. It was a very fast close, a two-week close. And um, I didn't really have the resources in place to do it. So I didn't have my team. And so I ended up, you know, going through a family member to who was a general contractor to do the renovation. And, um, you know, I think within within two weeks or so, you know, I had to fire him because there was building code violations. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I ended up having to hire another general contractor uh, to help me out. And then at that point, um, you know, they had issues at one point in terms of paying their subtrades. And one of the subtrades subsequently put a lien on my property, which is something that uh, can happen in Canada. I'm not sure about the U.S. And then, you know, I ended up firing them, bringing in a third general contractor to finish the job. And, you know, obviously what I learned from that, you know, I jumped into it way too quick. I was dealing with a property which was much older than I was used to. So I completely underestimated the costs associated with it. I didn't have a team in place, right? I should have been interviewing, you know, contractors ahead of time. You know, um, you know there was a lot of meat on the bone there. That's why I hired a general contractor. But you know, any, any padding that I had was completely lost. And what should have been a three to four month renovation took seven, eight months. You know, I lost about, you know, $100,000 where I went $100,000 over budget. And so, you know, the main thing is, you know, if you're, if, if you're kind of getting into renovations, make sure that you don't chew, bite off more than you can chew. And if you've had some success before, don't get overconfident because this happened to me after I had a little bit of experience. And, you know, don't underestimate the value of having a good team, especially when you're going into renovation, you want to make sure you have a solid team in place because it's not really about you. A lot of it's about them and um, what they bring to the table as well. As far as knowing how much you can bite off and chew effectively, how do you know? Is it is it really about the team that you have in place? Is it about a certain level of knowledge, certain number of deals? At what point would you have said, I am at the level of taking this big next step? Well, I think for me, I think the main thing is, I mean, because those, those different issues were, you know, it was a combination of issues. I think for me, it was, I should, I should have definitely had my team in place, a team that could handle these larger renovations, right? And I think that was my mistake. And it's something that for every individual is going to be a little bit different. Um, but, this, you know, I think that if you kind of scale yourself, scale yourself up slowly to where you feel comfortable, it's a lot easier to make the transition. So instead of jumping directly from a, you know, a $25,000 or $40,000 renovation straight to, you know, complete guided. I mean, the, I think the renovation uh, was all said and done was about $250,000, right? It is, um, you know, I could have done an intermediate step, maybe, you know, going to a dollars or $100,000 renovation and then working my way up. But I kind of jumped headfirst into it a little bit too soon. Have you always liked the kind of the, the handiwork of a renovation or are you, do you enjoy more the operations and putting the right people in place? For me, I mean, I like, you know, putting the right people in place. And at the same time, you know, I, I, I enjoy selecting the finishes, right? And, uh, you know, the, the finished product, right? You know, the accomplishment of, of the finished product and what it looks like. Do you think it's necessary for someone to enjoy that aspect of it, you know, the aspect of picking out the finished product or seeing the finished product and picking out the different different finishes in order to do a strategy like you have done over the last 10 to, you know, 15 years where you buy a property, you fix it up and then you do a cash out refinance because that that's a that's a tried and true business model. Yeah. Yeah, not at all. I I don't think that you actually even have to 
particularly like real estate investing. You know, in fact, what I tell you know a lot of people is that real estate in, investing is that real, the goal of real estate as an investing activity should be to make it very boring and predictable. Right. And that, you know, when you like when you know what you're doing, there isn't that sense of excitement that comes into jumping into the unknown. It becomes like uh, like riding a bike. So if you're using a proven system, a proven investment system, you're doing it repetitively and getting predictable results, it can get a little bit boring. Now, I take some some pleasure in selecting the finishes of, you know, um, being able to kind of cr- create nice aesthetics, you know, with, without very much money. Right. So I, I do gain a little bit of a you know pleasure from that. But. You know, for the most part, it's it's a, a very straightforward activity for me. And what I do enjoy about real estate is what it's allowed me to do outside of investing in real estate in terms of having a little bit more freedom and having some more time to do other things in my life. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? Well, you know, that would, you know, really, you know, kind of to reiterate what I said is really to make it boring and predictable. Right. I mean, you know, if you want something exciting, go skydiving, take a trip to a foreign country. And, you know, there's no need to get the perfect deal to make a fortune in real estate. So if you're looking to get the perfect deal, you'll probably be looking for too long. And you only need a deal that fits within your specific investment system. You know, whether you're, you know, like me, you know, doing you know townhomes or small multifamilies or wholesaling, you just need something that fits within your system. And, you know, for, for me, you know, my deals are literally carbon copies of each other. So, you know, in the case of the townhomes, right, my specialization, just being focused on those three bedroom, one and a half bath townhomes allows me to, when I'm going in to make a purchase, very easily estimate repairs, right? I already know the exact dimensions and the materials that I need ahead of time. And that allows me to be very accurate when calculating uh, the repairs required. At the same time, like I know exactly what they can be rented for, what the average operating costs are, what my cash flow is going to be. I'm very familiar with the condo corporations in the area, which ones are good, which ones are bad. And, um, you know, also when you're working within a specific area, within a specific niche, um, you know, I'm familiar with the, with the realtors and sometimes, um, you know, that can, that can help in getting things done. And, um, you know, sort of, you know, in, in one of my presentations that I have, I mean, I think a lot of people underestimate, you know, the power of real estate and the wealth that you can create without, without actually not that much. So, you know, I, in the example, I talk about investing $100,000 into a $400,000 small multifamily in year one. And based on the assumption that you're going to get 5.5% appreciation, which has been the average annual appreciation rate in Canada over the last 30 years. And if you were to do that and just simply double your portfolio in year 10 to two properties and then double your portfolio in year 20 to four properties in year 30, that $100,000 seed money would turn into $6.7 million. And that's, that's really the power of compound interest. So you really, a lot of people think that you, got, you need to buy like 100 properties, you know, to be financially free in real estate. That's really not the case. You know, to, to build, you know, a large amount of wealth doesn't require that much. It requires time and it requires persistence. It requires time and it requires persistence, is that what you said? Yes. I love your advice on making the goal of real estate investing as an activity should be boring and predictable because that's the opposite of what most people approach it as. And, and I'm guilty of it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm guilty of you know, getting excited about deals. And you, you still get excited about deals, right? It, it's just the the business model. Yeah, not, it's, like a, it's like a slow burn, <laughs> you know, it's not. Okay. It's not as, I don't get that. I get excited doing my financial modeling, right? Seeing, you know, if I keep, you know, my current rate of growth will happen, right? But, 
you know, the last time I got really excited about a deal was that, you know, <laughs> that flip that I tried to do, right? <laughs> and then, you know, that turned out, right? So, yeah, the excitement's been beaten out of yeah. you from the Victorian, the 1900s Victorian exactly. and the, the underpinning foundation. <laughs> exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I love your approach. It's slow and steady wins the race and, and being smart and persistent. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right, first, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever book you read. It was uh, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari by Robin Sharma. Best ever project you're most excited about right now? I would say within the next year, I'm going to be selling off a few of my assets, refinancing a couple, and getting into larger multifamily. So I am excited about getting into that. Best ever personal growth experience, and what did you learn from it? It was actually uh, getting into mixed martial arts. Uh, it was about five years ago at a time when I was, I was pretty out of shape and getting this knock kicked out of me. And uh, I kind of learned to push myself physically, you know, and I think that's helped me in, in, in other aspects of my life. Best ever way you like to give back? Well, I like to give back through my blog and kind of sharing my knowledge. It's not really a for-profit thing. At the same time, uh, my wife and I um, donate a lot and give a lot back to charity, 10% of what we make. And uh, we give to charities, uh, churches, Red Cross, uh, and uh, CAMH, which is the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? Well, I guess aside from that flip that I tried to do, it would probably be getting uh, getting too, too tough when it comes to making deals. There's a lot of, pro- of properties that I could have bought. And uh, through the conditional period, you know, I, I, we kind of missed out by a couple of thousand bucks. And I guess when I was when I was a bit younger, you know, I treated the negotiation process of trying to win over the seller, which was a bit of a mistake. I should have, you know, let my let cooler heads prevail and you know give a couple extra thousand dollars because some of those were good deals that could have made me a lot of money. And what's the best ever place to reach you? It would be at axaminc.ca. Uh, I'm also on Facebook and also on Twitter. Through you can find me through uh, Axum Investments, or you can look up my name Elias ZK. And will you spell Axum Inc.? Will you spell it out, your web address? Yeah, it's uh, A-X-U-M, as in Mary, I-N-C dot C-A. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show and sharing your advice with the best ever listeners and talking about how you've built your portfolio over the last 15 years from scratch, starting in 2002 when you bought your first property, you lived in it, got the, the favorable financing then, Every subsequent property, you were, for the most part, I'm sure there were some exceptions along the way, but you were buying it with 25% down, adding value through a renovation, then putting new financing on it, getting a cash out refinance, and then using that money and putting towards your next one and taking that process. And then also your advice on making sure you don't bite off more than you can chew. And the goal of real estate investing as an activity should be boring and predictable. I love that. You get predictable results, make real estate boring. That's the 
Maybe that's a, that's like a T-shirt. Make real estate boring. <laughs> it really is. I, I love that. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll, maybe I'll do that too. Yeah, I, I freaking love that. Uh, well, thank you, uh, and and really cool that you're giving ten percent back of everything you and your wife make. So um, props to you for that as well. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for being on the show, and best ever listeners, go check out a x u m i n c dot c a and give them a shout out. Say hi, and my friend, we will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for having me, Joe. Oh, you know what? And I've, I'm starting to say this. Have a best ever week, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And bye to your best ever listeners. All right. Bye. All right. Take care. Bye.